Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and founder of Journey to Success Radio. Uh, you can uh, you can find out more about me and the show at the website. It's Journeys to Success Radio to Success And my purpose is to encourage people to live positively with and through the many and varied challenges of life. Our guest today is a really interesting guest. He does some cool things that I wish I was uh, doing as well. His name is Mix uh, Lexington. He graduated from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. Uh, where he studied fine art and creative writing. Uh, Upon graduation, he moved to Paris, where he appeared as a painter and collegist in the studio of British painter Sean. We'll have to pronounce, get uh, you to help me with that one. McTeague. McTeague. After a year in Paris, he returned to London. He began working on his own artwork. Uh, He worked there until the studio was destroyed by fire the following year. Uh, while in London, he, his love of music found him forming the British rock band Checkpoint Charlie. And as the band's uh, songwriter, Mick fronted the band as lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist. And after his music, music career, moved to New York. Uh, he worked as a graphic artist in the advertising industry. And he wrote advertising copy for clients, including Panasonic and Harley Davidson. Very, very cool. During this time, Mick began writing fiction taking classes and participating in workshops with literary personalities such as S.L. How do you pronounce that one, Mick? Steele. Catherine Ryan Hyde, Barnaby Conrad, and oh, Ray Bradbury. Look at you. Apart from his numerous articles for the New York Press on art, music, and culture, Mick wrote the New York, uh, wrote the New York cult novel, novel Mr. Jack. During his research for the novel, Mick became aware of Shanghai, during the period in which this series is set and his fascination for Chinese culture together with the drama of the period inspired him to begin writing the series Shanghai Shanghai. His poetry and fiction have appeared in Plowshares, Tin House Granta and Glimmer Train. He lives and writes in New York City. Welcome to the show, Mick. Thank you for having me, Tom. I, I hear that and I think, wow, I'd like to know that guy. Right, right, me too. Writing advertising copies for people like Panasonic and Harley Davidson. Uh, I uh, I like to study, would like to be a copywriter, and that must be an interesting, interesting uh, thing to do. Uh, sure. You know, you know, the thing is, though, companies like, not to play it down or anything, but someone like a company like Panasonic or Harley Davidson have so many divisions and uh Ads and not just ads, but also literature and that. That uh, it's it, there's a lot of different stuff going around that's, that isn't necessarily sounds as exciting as that. But don't want to downplay it. But at the same time, yeah, it was it was fun. It was interesting. Oh, excellent! And now today you 
working full-time as a writer, writing for, uh, is it going to, I guess it's going to be a TV series, Shanghai, Shanghai? Sure. Well, I, we like to say it's streaming media. Uh, so more of like, a, yeah, TV would, I guess, would be, TV really is in a way um, an artifact term uh, because really more and more media is going to become on-demand streaming. We're not necessarily going to be looking at it through our um to our televisions, be a lot. You know, there's a lot of different devices. There's the term that's coming out now. A lot of younger people uh, use this term. And when I say younger people makes me don't want to sound. <laughs> right. You know, it's like well, it's first of all, don't want to sound old, but also yeah, yeah, right. You know, but I guess because it's a newer term, is what I mean. But the term I'm referring to is called cable cutters. And what it's referring to is that there's, you know, uh, literally getting rid of the cable and looking at more uh, instantaneous streaming type media. And um, that's really been sort of initiated through companies like um, Netflix and uh, Vudu. Mm -hmm. And I think more and more of, well, for, for, right, I know for myself right now, when I, when I turn on the television, take a look at something, I would say probably nine or at least eight out of nine, eight, eight or nine out of ten times, I'm looking at something on demand. So right. we're looking at, you know, the series to be on demand. And it would be uh, what's called now uh, binge watch watching. Right. We find, you know, something like uh, when the new season of, what's the one in Washington? West Wing, not West Wing, uh, House of Cards. When that comes out, you, you have people that are actually taking a day's vacation so they can sit and binge watch <laughs> for, for for 12 hours or whatever it is, the whole uh, the whole series and that. So, yeah, that's really where, we, where myself and the other members of our production team, as we stand right now, really see the future of um, uh, on-screen entertainment is going to be more on-demand, on-streaming. And that's one of the ways that we're actually marketing the series that I'm writing that I've created, Shanghai, Shanghai. And um, it's, it's really been, I guess, marketed and um, not just marketed, but developed with that in mind. And right now we are in the development stages and we are looking at different um, uh, different entities that are backing us uh, in different areas of development. And that's really is one of the selling points that, you know, the, the, the series is really uh, geared towards that, that, uh, yeah. that stream, that streaming uh, media. Wow. And that was exemplified so much to me this past weekend. Uh, went to visit my sister in New Hampshire and she's got kids uh, 13, 12 and nine or 10, somewhere in there between 10 and 13. And, they watch everything on their iPad. They have cable, right. but they very rarely watch cable. They say, we watch it on demand, whatever we want, on our iPad. And all of them do that. So their TV is sure. hardly ever used. Yeah. And it's, well, it's, not, um, not, to, um, not to give too much away, partly because I don't want to give away any of the mystery, but also partly because we're in development and there's only so much I can talk about. But um, we're, we're looking to actually... Um, uh, the, the show is based in Shanghai, China in 1926 uh, is when it starts. We're actually looking and talking to studios uh, in uh, uh, in Asia, in that area. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that when we've been talking to our uh, Chinese backers that are interested is we would come into these meetings early on and say that we're looking at a television show. And we would get these looks like, we, you know, why do you need X amount of dollars for television? And then we actually saw Chinese television and it's very, um, very low production, very, uh, uh, very hit or miss. It's like the stories are like 
overly melodramatic and there's not a lot of production. And we're, we just kind of realized, well, this is one of the reasons why we're getting these looks in these meetings, because we're looking to produce something that is highly polished, that could be um, – could easily you could take any one of our scenes and put it on the uh, cinema screen it would look like it's cinema quality so um we're um which is another reason we've been talking about this uh referring to it as streaming media as opposed to saying that it's television oh interesting now uh of course you know i'm a huge napoleon hill fan my as, a, as myself yes. right and you are as well and you know that he talks about the number one principle, if you have don't have this one, but you have everything else, you're not going to go anywhere, is definite purpose. And it yep. sounds like, did you know since a young age that you wanted to be a writer somehow? Yes, I did. And I didn't act on it. And I'll, the reason why is that I really succumbed, and I'm not blaming anyone but myself, but I really succumbed to a lot of the, the attitudes and pressures of family, friends. Um, I grew up in a very provincial sort of um, Midwestern town, and there wasn't a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of people actually leaving there or going on to do anything that was of any interest. Uh, or I shouldn't say of interest. That sound I don't want to. <laughs> you know, give the negative connotation, but of, of of interest to myself, I should say, for for what I was looking for, and um, really just uh, succumb to a lot of the uh, well, that's going to be a hard way to make a living. You're not going to make it. You know, you're going to struggle in that, and uh, you're going to need to uh, you, you you need to get a good job with insurance and good pay, and with you know, and and with things that are good, that that has a future, basically. And it wasn't until in the last four or five years of my life that, uh, well, I don't want to say my life sounds like I'm going to end it or anything. So it's the last four year, four or five years recently where I uh, be, really became aware of guys like Napoleon Hill and the, and the whole attitude of, you know, thoughts do become or thoughts do become um, actions and, and, and reality when we put our minds to it. And it was really, like I say, once uh, that mindset sort of, um, I adapted that mindset that things started to kick in and, and things started to change. Right. And and it seems like you've done a number of different uh, types of writing. And I wonder about the, the mindset and the writing style. Uh, you wrote a book, you wrote advertising copy, and now you're writing for a uh, series and talk about the differences in the writing for each because the focus uh, is is different the length is different and, right well mm. when, yeah when you advertise when you're doing copy you really you know want to uh well th- let me back up for a second th- everything is different but one thing that's similar to all of those is you're all you're telling a story through all of them and there's always a story and there's always a focus on to what is the actual, you know, what, what is the means to the end of the story. Now, how are you going to be doing that? It's going to be different for all those mediums. Uh, you're writing it for, uh, for advertising. Uh, you're talking about, you know, what is this, you know, what, what are we trying to sell? So what is the point we're trying to get across to the, the, the audience, which is that this thing is good. You need this thing. You can't live without it, and you've got to have it. And the reason you've got to do all these things is because X, Y, and Z. And you set up a, a scenario where maybe you have um, uh, you, you, you've got a character who's uh, in a situation, and they need that uh they need that Panasonic HD video player because whatever sort of crisis, and that's the story that you're telling. Right. And that's you know the same thing you know uh, in you can say in any any sort of writing that I've done. Uh, one of the things that I um, deal with, and 
don't want to say struggle because that's too strong. But something that I deal with every day is that I am seriously dyslexic. Wow. I I pay my my editor. I think I'm putting my editor's son <laughs> through uh, <laughs> through medical or law school, by the way, because <laughs> everything I make sure that it goes out. It's it's just, it, it, it is is checked. Uh, so. Um, there was a point I was making with this, and I forget now. It might be the dyslexia kicking in. But, um, <laughs> uh, oh no! Well, it's one of the things I was essentially going to say was that um, is that uh, I've been you know, criticized. Like it's like, oh, how could a writer be dyslexic? Well, I said, well, I may be a writer, but what I see myself as is a storyteller. Mm. Okay, so you know, or you know, the, the writing is the means by which the art is being uh, assimilated, and the art is actually the, 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 the story that's going down on paper or on computer or whatever. Right. So. Now, uh, uh, I had a train of thought, just like you. Now you got yeah. me off my train of <laughs> I, thought. I have, that, um, I have that effect on people. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Graduating from Carnegie Mellon, that's a prestigious institution. How did and as and writing, how did you do that with dyslexia? Did you have a uh, editor then, or uh, well, I, 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 let's put this way, I, I was very, very low at my class, and to be quite honest with you, I, um, I didn't really take advantage. I wasn't really prepared mentally and emotionally for college when I was in it, so I really didn't take full advantage of it. I managed to get through, but um, it, uh, I really didn't start using what I'd learned till much later. And um, uh, personally, to be honest with you, I think I should have took some time off before I, um, I uh, did that endeavor. But um, Well, as like Zig Ziglar says, you're the part of the class that made the upper half look good. Right, exactly. <laughs> I didn't make the upper half. I made the upper 80, 90%. <laughs> Still graduated. That's all that counts after you graduate, usually. Well, what I, what I find, though, is that I think, and this is not a criticism towards higher education, but I think um, the very fact that I did not have a, uh easy academic career and it was a bit of a struggle was one of the reasons that I continued learning and, and, and this pushing myself afterwards is to continue to learn more. I mean, I, to this day, I'm constantly taking um, any sort of classes or seminars or reading up on different topics or um, uh, anything I can find to get my hands on to actually uh, continue continue my education. And I don't think, edu- you know, just because you have accomplished uh, a piece of sheepskin at the end of a four-year term doesn't mean that you should stop learning. And I think I see a lot of of people out there that uh, do that, unfortunately. Right, and Napoleon Hill wrote about that a lot, that the best education is self-education and has to be continuous. Uh, and so it's so, yeah, so I important. Mean, to, to, when I look at what I... When I moved to Europe, I pretty much just uh, put... Uh, the night before I left, uh, I put my guitar and a bunch of other things packed together in a suitcase full and didn't put the guitar in the suitcase. But anyway, you know what I'm saying is I just put, put, put a bunch of things together and le- left for Europe and had no real plan in mind. And I, well, take that back. I had a rough sort of outline of a, of a plan. But just the, what you learn just by putting yourself in that sort of situation is much more, um, it's not quantitative, but it's qualitative, if you understand what I'm right, trying to say. Right, 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 right. Right. Now, of course, as a Napoleon Hill instructor, I ask this one a lot. Uh, when, What age were you when you first read Think and Grow Rich? And was there someone 
important or interesting or someone in your life who said, hey, Mick, this is a book you need to read? Um, you know, it's something that um, uh, I've, I've never – well, let me answer that by saying this. I've never actually sat down and read it cover to cover where I've actually gone through sections and I've, and I've read the entire uh, book uh, piecemeal mm-hmm. over a long period of time. Uh, and it was not no one in particular that ever said it to me. It was really my interest, and it came through my interest in uh, philosophy, which was then triggered my interest in quantum physics. Whoa. And that is really what got me involved in Napoleon Hill. This is stuff that we never even came close to looking at uh, in college. Right. But uh, it was stuff that afterwards that I found you know really intriguing, and it's just because you you. you as I always said, I go. You got to get your antenna out there and just start looking and see what sort of uh, what your antenna picks up. And you'll be surprised when you consciously say that to yourself. The things that'll start coming in from different areas. And became aware of the whole idea of the, um, the in, in quantum physics. There's the idea that you know, um, basically, you know, what we're, I'm going to really paraphrase this and and give you a bit of a messed up sort of definition. But my belief and idea of how I see it is that. You know, re- reality is what we make of it, essentially. Right. Yeah, and you know, it there is. Um, uh, this is not set. There's not a reality out there, but it's 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 really based on uh, our um, our determination of how we're going to determine our our path within it. Right. Exactly. And what we focus on. Uh, yeah, I really get what you're saying. And so, uh, you know, of course, the quote. What the mind of man can conceive and believe it can achieve. And so uh, talk about the belief that thoughts become actions because it takes more than just believing it and conceiving it. It's yeah, a, I mean, you know, work. I mean the, 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 the friends and people I know that have you know, you know, criticized that sort of um, ideology say, you know, have this sort of um, real tongue-in-cheek sort of attitude that, well, I can just uh, – uh, I can just sit on my couch and I couldn't believe right. that uh, you know, $100 bills are going to manifest themselves on my coffee table. It's like, you know, well, on one level, if you actually um, have some sort of you know, psychosis, delusional sort of state that you believe that, right. then they are there. <laughs> That's, um, maybe it would be nice to live in that bliss. But, no. right. but, but seriously, what I, you know, it, it is is that it's uh, you know, believing in that is putting yourself on a um, – and I'm going to use this term collision course, and even though it's a bit of a violent term, but that's really what I believe is that when you, when, when you, when you set yourself in mind with a definiteness of purpose, you put yourself on a collision course with that destiny. Right, right. And that's kind of the big fly I saw in the movie, the famous movie and book, The Secret. It was like yeah. they did not give any indication that an enormous amount of hard work and persistence is required. They made it seem like, as you said, you right, sit, exactly. sit on your couch and think of money falling from the sky and next thing yeah. you know, it doesn't show that you have to work your butt off for it. Uh, well, you know, and it's – it. Yeah, it, you really get what you put into it. And the thing is, though, you could – well, there was this um, – I'm going to get a little bit of a tangent. But there was a, a running professor who had this great uh, line. Uh, Yvonne Nelson Perry used to say that it takes as much effort to write a bad book as it does a good book. So you might as well write a good book. <laughs> and the reason I say that is it's really, it takes as much effort – to mess up your life as it does to, to, to get your life in order. So you might as well get it in order and do the things that are going to help you accomplish what you're looking to do. 
Right. <laughs> right, exactly. And so this is, you know, part of having a purpose is that you can believe your purpose, you can work hard at it, you love doing it. And so, so important that belief. What really has to happen is that I feel, I don't mean to cut you off the time, but I really feel it has to happen is that when you have that definiteness of purpose, that desire and that goal you have becomes the thing that is the most important for you to achieve. And that the idea of doing something that would contradict that in some way or to be counter, uh, counterproductive to that would be so alien to your being, to your, your behavior that you would just be um, – um, it would be it would not be in your um in, in your um your your habits or your thoughts or your, or your actions to do something right. like that right and then when you, when you have yeah when you have that strong purpose even just wasting time seems like a bigger waste of time because you have a strong purpose and you're like yeah I'm do you know what though, that's, that's interesting you should say it's one thing that um like to touch on is that what what I found that I really had to balance is that you know work time and recreation play recovery time. Ooh. Because if you don't have the other, if you don't, if if you if you if you just constantly are driving yourself, you got to have a little bit of a um, uh, of a recovery. And the reason I say that as well is that uh, uh, one of the things that writers often talk about is this thing called writer's block. Right. Which I really just feel is that's basically you just got nothing to say at at at, at the moment. You know, it's like that's your block. It's that you know you uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine, uh, Chuck Palahniuk, who wrote a um, novel um, Fight Club. He um, he said uh, he was given his lecture and he had a, a point. He said he goes, you would never he goes, you you would you would never sit. Excuse this is a little crude, but he said you would never sit on the toilet if you didn't have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> okay. So goes, why would why would you sit down to write if you have nothing to say? Right. So what you do is you go out, you live your life, you talk to people, you uh, you, you you have a, uh, you have a conflict, you 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 make love to somebody, you um, you have a drink with somebody, you you have a like I say, walk to the corner, um, uh, steal a newspaper, you do something, get not not advertise, not advocating stealing newspapers or anything, but you get out and you live your life and you do some, do. Some, Get some get get some action in your uh, in your psyche. Then come back, and then you're able to write. You just can't uh, expect it is to flow from nothing. Right, and uh, and I totally agree. You've got to have the some balance in there. For many years, I didn't take vacations. I thought, wasn't very good when I started. Even on my honeymoon, I was like, okay, after two days, I was like, okay, I can't sit by a pool much longer or go to a beach anymore. So what am I doing? But uh, now I've gotten able to just uh, uh, go days at a time without being on social media or connected in any way, and it really does rejuvenate your creativity and your soul, and uh, mm. so it's very much needed, especially if there's someone like yourself who's so uh, creative and artistic in their uh, field. Yeah, it's like it just in, in order to have output, you need input. Right, right. If you're an accountant. Uh, and debits on the left and credits on the side to the window. Right. Well, same, well, exactly. same every day. You yeah, really don't you, need you right, don't need to do too much there. But if but, you're, but even your accountant, you need input. You need numbers. You just can't start doing calculations from nothing. Well, right. Having right. said that, a few of the accountants I know may be doing that. But that's <laughs> <laughs> right. Now it sounds like overall you're uh, artistic person i mean you're in a band so you got music you've got writing of various kinds uh, 
Uh, talk a little bit about being in the band and your musical career, because there's so many people that love to do that on any kind of level. Yeah, um, I really kind of gloss over that at times because it was really a different part of my life. I don't mind speaking to it for a little yeah. bit, but it was. Um, uh, I played in a rock band in London for about a few years, um, and um, I had a good time while I did it. I we didn't we weren't as successful as I'd like to be. Yet we were more successful at on some levels. Levels. Then it gets into that whole definition of um, you know what is success and whatnot. Right. But um, you know, uh, one of the things that I'm happy about though is that I did that when I was young and I got out of it when I realized that um, I wouldn't want to do it the rest of my life and I didn't uh, I, di- I didn't stick around um, after I didn't stick around to the party after everyone had gone home. Right. So, those are two good things, and yeah, and, and lots of people would love to do that when they're young, but do you want to uh, do it forever? Right, right, yeah, and I recognize that, you know, one of the things I think about when you're looking at, um, you know, what is the definiteness of purpose and the successes that we want in life, uh, realizing that maybe you're not on the right path at the right time, and it's time to possibly uh, move on in that, and um you know, not to say that that look, looking at that as some sort of failure, but it's just that you know you you, you when you're we were I look at us all on this sort of like um, you know the the, the uh, it's been said the um, the purpose of life is to find yeah. is, is to find one's purpose right and, and then to pursue that well you know you're gonna uh, like um, I think it was Thomas Edison said you know every every failed attempt is one less that I have to uh, go through so you go through different you know avenues and different um, venues of creativity or at least myself I did that you know that necessarily didn't pan out until you find some place where you're comfortable with it yeah. right exactly exactly excellent talk about some of the other uh, uh, current and future projects you have going on because they're pretty exciting as well well, the um, novel that uh, wrote Mr. Jack is actually um, – we're t- uh, turning that into a, a screenplay at the moment. The uh, the Shanghai Project is in a place where it's um, – it, it, it's myself as writer and creator of that. It's in a pretty safe place right now where, where um, um, it, it's in development, and only someone should can say about it now, but there is going to be some press coming off uh, on that uh, fairly soon. So I'm able to now really put myself in a position to um, pursue some other projects. Nice. And I say one of them is uh, uh, taking the novel Mr. Jack, which is a um, novel set in my old neighborhood of the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Right. And it 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 answers it, it it's um it has a, a story of a of a young artist, and it's not based on myself at all. But it's a young artist who uh, basically abandons his career, then tries to recover it, and then in the process ends up living his life vicariously through um, um, through the the, uh, the 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 person who occupied his studio, or currently occupies his studio once he leaves it. But it really delves into uh, like some philosophical questions on um, you know living the un- unexamined life and what is our um, well. What is our responsibilities to ourselves to live our lives to the fullest? And, uh, right, right. It, it uh, delves into that pretty heavily, and uh, looking to do that as a um, uh, as as a screenplay. Because one of the things I do when I write my fiction, I write in something that's called three act structure, where you're looking to do a uh, a beginning, a middle, and an end uh, with a certain sort of um. um 
I don't want to say formula per se, because that makes it sound like as it's like you're filling in the blanks, but sort of a formaic, formaic, yeah, I don't even have the word, but yeah, uh, a, a certain a certain sort of um, structure where you, you set up a, um, set up a conflict and resolve that conflict and do it in telling the story. And it's a, it just, it just feels very natural then to take that, um, from that in form as a novel and put that into uh, f- the um, the screenplay format, and um, I've got a couple of people working on that project with. Plus, also uh, uh, touching up a couple of uh, of uh, other scripts for um, uh, some uh, people that are being associated with my other projects, and um, have another um, streaming media, uh, two other streaming media projects. But I'm just actually uh, putting the the whole. Uh, ideas on paper right now writing stuff what's called the uh, the treatment and the bibles which basically are the uh, the treatment is like the whole sort of um how do you call it the uh, description of what happens and description of the characters and then the bible is pretty much the universe that exists within this um, the structure so those are all documents that you really need to support before you get to actually writing a um um the scripts and the uh, and and the episodes because you have to basically establish this um, this universe and this uh, um, this world and this this place and time where these exist. Nice. What about? Uh, do you have any tips for people that would like to make a living writing? I'd say get a piece of paper and a pen and start writing and don't stop. <laughs> Just write. Uh, pretty much. You know, I said the other day. Um, uh, one of my Facebook's posts was something to the, um, you know, when in doubt, write. Just keep putting one word on after one word down after the other, and that really, I guess, you know, and I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but I really do mean that. You know, the best way if you want to get involved with writing is to start writing, and to realize um, one hard, true fact and reality that writing is rewriting. And the reason I say that is I've given a lot of um, uh, seminars or workshops with young writers that will come in with maybe a great idea for, or a great draft or um, a first or second draft of a, of a, of a short story or um, some sort of you know, project they're working on. And I'll say, well, you've got a great draft right here. And they'll get, I'll see this look in their face where it's like I just took all the air out of their universe. And they go, well, I've put so much work into that. I go, and you're going to put a lot more into it because writing really is rewriting. And one of the main things, pieces of advice I would give is that once you've written a piece, put it away and look at it. Try to give yourself a minimum, and this is hard, but try to give yourself two weeks because you need time for the, the, that, uh, that piece to burn off in your subconscious and to look at it with a really fresh uh, fresh eyes and a, and a fresh consciousness. Um, Jack Heffron, who used to be the editor of Story Magazine when it was out, uh, was talking with, uh, we were talking once and he had mentioned, he was going on about um, talking with young writers and he said, very typical what you'll see is that someone will finish a, a piece of writing and they'll th- say, this is the best thing ever written. And they look at it the next morning and they say, this is the worst thing ever written. And the, the reality is really somewhere in between there. And really what you need to do is to take your time and to, and to rewrite uh, the piece, but do it with fresh eyes. Um, another big, big piece of advice I would give, and this really goes for longer pieces like uh, novels or screenplays, do not show it to anyone while it's in progress. 
because one of oh. two things, one of two things are going to happen. You know, you might have a uh, I, I have certain readers that I work with, and they might see things. I have an editor who cleans up my spelling and checks my grammar and all that stuff and makes me sit, look like a professional. But then I have um, two readers. Uh, one of them is a professor at um, Columbia in communications, a very good friend of mine. The other um, gentleman named Larry Brody, who used to work in television writing for many, many years. And they'll occasionally see my pieces in progress. Oh, our live studio audience is in the background. Yeah, it sounds like my critics have arrived. But the reason I say, though, not um, to look at, not to show it to anyone. Right is that one of two things is going to happen. Either someone, it would be your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, sister, whatever, they're going to either do one of two things. They're going to either tell you it's great and kill it with kindness, or they're going to criticize it and say that it's worse than it is possibly. And what will happen is that will have, it, it'll, it'll throw the trajectory of your work off one way or the other. It's, you know, Heisen, what's that, Heisen? Berg's uncertainty theory. I'm going to really muck it up, but you know, you cannot, you cannot tell the the location and the speed of an object. You can only tell one. Well, it's sort of like you can't really when a, a piece of uh, writing is in progress, you can't really measure its um, measure it, right? Because yeah, you know, what'll happen is you'll 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 alter it. Uh, and like I see, you, you're um, one of the worst things that can happen is someone can tell you about how great it is and, it, and you're doing everything wonderful, and then you'll get a bit lazy. Right. Or they'll yeah. tell you it's terrible, and then you'll just overcompensate, and that'll just then really show in the, you know, the, in the work. Right, exactly. So just get that first draft down. Get that um, – uh, Matt Palmieri is a good friend of mine. He's a, a horror writer, horror and fantasy writer. And he has this expression, and uh, excuse it, it's a little off color, but he says, puke on the page. Just get it all out, and just get it all out on the page. And then you know, don't worry about you know, correcting um, um, you know, the, the, uh, any sort of nuance or any sort of editing or whatnot. Just get it down on the page as fast as you can, and then go back and do that. Because you know, it's, there's this um, sort of um, non-writers have this sort of uh, 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 perception that uh, a book is written, you start, you get, a, you get page one out and you start writing in the upper right-hand corner. And then after writing in about f- three or 400 pages, going from the upper right to the uh, up, upper left to the lower right, that eventually, you know, you're, you're writing the words, the end. And it's, <laughs> you know, and it's not like, a, you know, I'd say writing is more akin to, if you've ever seen like a, um, uh, like an, uh, an expressionistic painter who's painting, who's going all over the canvas. Think of it more like that because you might be writing you might be writing scenes that happen out of sequence. You know, you might be you know going all over the place with it. But that's uh, like I say, don't 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 look at it as linear. Even though the story is oh, going to be okay. read linear, don't look at it necessarily as a linear process. Right. Great advice, but extremely hard to do because you know how people always want to have approval from other people. Well, or... yeah, that's it. Well, this is you know you mentioned about you know I had spent some years as a musician. And the the biggest, if you could take two forms of expression that are further apart on the spectrum when it, on the, the spectrum of uh, of approval, whereas in music you are getting instantaneous approval pretty much when you're performing, whereas in writing you could be working years before you're getting any sort of uh, approval for your work. Right, right, right. And just because you show it to 
Not everyone in your family or friends are qualified to judge the quality of writing. Well, you're right. This is why I say, you know, I like to, um, you know, I, I have, and the readers that I, when I mention readers, that's one of the best things you can do is get someone who's trusted as a reader and someone who is, um, I would say it's like someone that you can trust the opinion. Uh, they're going to give you a straight opinion. They're not looking to uh, knock you down a peg regardless or to build up their own ego. They're, they just want to basically give you a straightforward um, opinion and someone who um, said that you have similarities in with um, um, cultural uh, cultural taste. You have similar cultural taste. don't have to be identical because they'll have an idea of like what you're, you're, you're trying to get across and if it's actually happening. You know, there's a lot of, I worked in writers groups for a while and I know a lot of writers that uh, work in writers groups and they really can be hit or miss. I don't want to uh, denigrate the whole idea of it, but I found a lot of writers groups are actually trying to, uh, put, are, are trying to, um, instead of, uh, instead of actually cultivating better writers are trying to cultivate better critics at times. <laughs> you know, and that's and that's not to say you 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 don't need criticism, but uh, you know it's like where you know you I, I've been in these groups where you can just see the other writers are just waiting to criticize something. You know, right, right, right. Okay, you know, is it? Uh, and another thing I'll do as well. I'm I'm working on a script right now for a, a director who's um, going to be uh, doing a lot of the art direction and a lot of the um, the visuals for the Mr. Jack film, and. Um, one thing um, I said is that I'm uh, I'm working on this this script. I said, "Go! I'm not looking to change the story. I'm looking to make the story that you've already written to be the best story it can be." And that's really what you want to find when you when you're looking for people that are going to be. Um, and it it is important to get uh, other people to look at your work that are qualified. But you want to find writers groups and people to 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 to, to work with that are looking to give advice on how they can take what you've written and make it better as opposed to changing it. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, what other books are you, uh, would you recommend other than Think and Grow Rich? I'm a book lover. Ah, good question. Um, well, do you know what I really, what, what, um, one of the things I, and it's, it's not that I don't read, but one of the things I've done a lot of recently is that uh, I've gone on to um, YouTube, and it's such a great source of information to get videos. And I like I love watching these videos on um, quantum physics. And the guy that I really would love to, to to look at is Brian Green, who is I believe he is a physicist at Columbia, and um, uh, Mikio Kaku. Kakao, he's mm -hmm. a Japanese physicist, and they're, they're looking at what, what their perception of in quantum physics of how we, um, uh, of, of how reality is really perceived, and it, like taking that philosophy then and laying it on top of what we already know from the the, the Napoleon Hill. Right. That's a little off topic from what you're asking about as far as books, but what I'm really trying to get at is um, not necessarily um, you know further reading. But a further understanding of the reading we have, and, and and looking at it from another lens or another perspective. Right, interesting perspective. Yeah, and really, it gets down to. You know, I don't know if I'm just going to get really uh, off topic here a little bit. But are you familiar with something that was called the double slit experiment back no. around 
about a, about a hundred years ago, roughly. And I'm going to I would uh, advise you take a, a do a do a Google search on the double slit experiment, and I'm going to give you the layman's sort of like nickel explanation of what it it is basically. But it was a experiment that was done in quantum physics about 1910 or 1915, and well, what they basically um, uh, discovered was that they were taking these um, photons and, and throwing them through a throwing them at a screen that had two slits in it and we're looking at the perceived um, image on, uh, uh, on a on a sensor at, uh, at the other end of this whatever this tube or this, this this contraption was and he basically realized was that these quantum uh, particles which are the size of you know uh, like neutrons of atoms were basically um, interfering with themselves be, but before uh, they were making a commitment to where they would, what, what, what slit they would go down, the right or the left one. Well, they actually observed uh, the, the, this. This this was when it was unobserved. When they actually observed these uh, particles doing this, they behaved regularly. So basically, what the, um, I realize as I'm explaining this, I'm not giving the best explanation. But what they basically re, um, determined from this is that the act of perceiving collapses the possibility of the wave function. And what that means is that anything is possible until the point we observe it. So if we're going to observe it, we should be observing it with this open, clear mind and this positive thinking and this definiteness of purpose. Now, when you take that and look at this double slit experiment, you're going to have a little bit of an aha moment there. Mm-hmm. Neat. Yeah, because it's, it really gets down to the idea of that the observer collapses the wave function. The wave function of a particle, and we're all made of particles, everything in reality is all made of particles. It, it basically has, um, uh, according to the, the theory of quantum physics, any wave particle has the possibility of being anywhere or anything at any time. But the only reason it behaves the way it does is because we observe it. So if we look at our own destiny and our own um, definition of reality and we observe it with this, uh, like I say, definiteness of purpose and this positive attitude, uh, we can really have a, a, a profound impact on our um, ourselves and our lives. Amazing. Do you have a website, Mick? I have a w- website that I'm – yes, I do. The website I have right now is um, Shanghai the Series, which pr- promotes the series. And I do have a site I'm working on, which is micklexington.nyc, mm-hmm. uh, which um, uh, is a constantly, um, uh, constantly sort of um, uh, being upgraded and improved. I look at it a, a little bit like um, when they were um, in the American West, in the uh, the Old West, when they were laying out the railroad track, where they would put a little bit of track down, and the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the the engine would catch up to it. That's kind of the way I look at the website. It's in a constant state of uh, it's in a constant state of revision. Right. <laughs> very but good. I, with, with the website, though, it's very, um, very heavily uh, uh, text-driven. It's just all basically the conversation we've been having for the last half hour, 40 minutes, whatever it's been, it's all been um, this is what you're going to find on the site. And it's a lot of loose um, random association. But um, I kind of like it like that. Right. <laughs> different uh, appeal to different people on different topics. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, when is uh, when could this uh, Shanghai Shanghai uh, series be well, seen? Well, I think you're gonna you're gonna be looking you're gonna be looking at um, uh, some press for this probably within the next two to four weeks. Uh, things should be out. Uh, 
some announcements on some people that are going to be being attached to the project that are pretty exciting. And uh, we're probably going to be, uh, I would say, um, late 2017 is when you actually be able to stream something. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to promoting the heck out of it when that oh, happens. Oh, great. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing and uh, be great to see the work you've done. Uh, thank you so much for your uh, time today, Mick. It's been uh, really interesting. You do a lot of things, as I said, the creative writing, the writing, writing for a series, uh I love writing, and so I'm really interested in, in all the work that you're doing, and I'm so looking forward to the Shanghai Shanghai Project release. Uh, that'll be interesting to watch. And so, well, Great. Well, well, thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate you taking the, having the opportunity to speak with you today. It's uh, been a lot of fun, and we'll keep an eye out for you in the future because I know you got a lot of cool projects on the go. All right. Well, I'll keep you updated. I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtutall.com for details.